Welcome, everybody, to the Flock Pod. Hashtag 033. Maybe the easiest naming of a podcast we've ever done. This is the Luke Jackson pod. We, we thought it might be difficult, and then I'm glad that we were on the same page and we yeah. just settled right on no, Luke Jackson. No, this is Jackson. a slam dunk. This is a slam dunk. There's been a lot of good 33s, though. A lot of good 33s. This is true. I am at Coach Justin D on all of those major social media platforms. I am at Shane Potter Six on the Twitter, and to make it confusing, Waka Flocka Shane Six on the Instagram. That was a nice like uh, Christopher Walken intro you did yeah, there on the I liked welcome. That one. Yeah, I felt good about that uh-huh. one. You know, I'm playing around with it a little bit every once in a while. Um, we are at the Flock Pod on the Twitter, on the Book Face, on the Instagram. We are all over the place. Please go give us a like, comment on our stuff, give us a share. Give us that grassroots bump in the algorithm. That's what we really need to get ourselves out there for a little bit more. You know, we are a semi-professional amateur podcasters now. Nobody we do can have, take that away from nobody us. Can take that, nobody can take those that three cents away from <laughs> us, Shane. Nobody can take that away from us. Um, so we do have the ad segment now in the middle of the podcast. I don't like ads in my pod. I get it, ladies and gentlemen. But... We're trying to do some things to pay the bills around here and uh, be able to keep this podcast going and make it better. That, that's really the goal. We want this to build into something bigger and better. Um, kind of a long-winded intro today, but I do want to talk, just touch a little bit on the, the Luke Jackson thing, man. Luke Jackson was a huge part of me being at the University of Oregon. I mean, his games and him, just his presence here at the University of Oregon was pretty incredible. Oh, yeah. I'd say he was... Probably, I mean, he was the best duck basketball player that I saw growing up. Yeah. Like him and Luke Ridnour, which is interesting that Luke Jackson didn't have as good of a career as Luke Ridnour did in Back the NBA. injuries. Back injuries, yeah. It seemed like he was, you know, tailor-made for the NBA game yep. at that time. Yeah, six-foot-seven yeah. shooter. He was a 3-and-D guy before the NBA really knew they wanted 3-and-D guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he was a Gordon Hayward-esque player. He really you know, was, Could yeah. have been a playmaker, could play off the pick-and-roll, things like that. But this is, I mean, I was a student at the University of Oregon when he was there. This game in particular that we're kind of referencing here was that game versus Colorado. Um, there's a great article on fishduck.com if you want to go back on there. Tales from the Pit. Um, classic NIT game, March 17th versus Colorado when they were still in the Big 12. Um, this was back when Ernie Kent was the coach. Yeah. Um, coming off back-to-back 20-plus win seasons. I mean, this game was just this. I mean, I was at this game. I was in the pit crew. And it. I've never been a part of a more just purely chaotic sports environment. Uh, a couple, no, I think it was last summer I was when I was working at Hot Mama's Wings. Uh, he was eating over at uh, Cafe Soraya. Came okay. over because he had to wait for a table. He didn't make a reservation. Come on, Luke. And then, uh, <laughs> so he buys a beer and a drink for his uh, person who's with wife. I'm not really sure. Um, but he pays me in 100 And I only had ones. So I had to give him like 90 ones back. And I was so nervous to just like talk to him. that, And I was counting out all these ones that I gave him the wrong amount of change. I don't think I've ever been sweatier for like the rest of a day. It was just like it stuck with me. Like I was like, yo, I screwed up Luke Jackson's change, dude. Like, I got shorted him like four bucks. I'm like, dude. Hey, in in fairness, counting's hard. Yeah, especially I was just like, oh, dude, all right. Yes, yes, yes Mr. Mr. Jackson. Jackson. 
I'm sorry, Mr. Jackson. Oh, you beat me. You beat me. I was gonna. I'm sorry, Mr. Jackson. Ooh. Yeah, I love it. Oh, I love it. Oh man. But just again, a figure in the community. I mean, that game that we're kind of talking about versus Colorado. I mean, scored 29 straight points. Oregon ends up winning 77 to 72. Really fun Oregon team with a freshman feisty Aaron Brooks on that team. That if you don't remember, Aaron was a. Uh, he, he liked to mix it up. He was scrappy. Um, yeah, he definitely yeah. liked to mix it up. Um, ask, uh, what was the kid's name from uh, Washington? Uh, oh, boy. Appleby or yeah, something like that. something like that. Yeah, yeah, ask him about Aaron Brooks. <laughs> that's, that's a good one right there. But anyway, we're being long-winded here on the Luke Jackson episode, but why not? Good to take a walk down memory lane. You no, know, he's, he's the head coach at NI. Not anymore. Oh, really? No, he was the head coach at NCU. Um, there's a lot of things that kind of happened behind the in the behind the scenes. You know, what where, where his next move move was going to be. Uh, a lot of things talking about if he was going to go up to Portland and maybe coach at UP or Portland State. And yeah, I think Terry now, Porter, yeah, I think he's not coaching now as far as I know. Um, I don't believe he's on a staff anywhere. He should buy a sports bar. <laughs> <laughs> so what really was what should happen is he and Ridenauer should get back together and buy a sports bar and call it Luke and Luke's. Ooh. But, yeah. you know, that's, that's Luke just... both ways. Yep. I love Luke. <laughs> 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 All right, so we're going to move on to our walk around the flock. Um, definitely some uh, some big things here in the news for the Ducks this week. But I think the biggest thing, especially because, let's face it, the football news cycle just runs the world. It really is constant does. now, especially even at the college level. I mean, it is a 365-day and a leap year, 366-day beat that you need to be following and be on. And um, this is a big loss for the University of Oregon. Coach Dante Manning rumored to be headed to USC. Not officially signed, I guess, down there from what I could find online. Dante Williams? Oh, Dante Williams, excuse me. Yeah. Yes, Coach Williams. Yeah. Yes, Coach uh, Dante Williams, yes. Dante Manning is... Dante a... Manning is the other part of this story, so yeah. my brain was trying to jump ahead. But uh-huh. anyway, I want, to t- I want to focus on Williams here for a second because you saw the social media reaction from a lot of the players within the program. This is a big loss for the, this is a big loss for the Ducks. Well, and especially he was one of the big uh, recruiters for the Ducks. The best recruiter, from yeah, what I can I, tell. I, well, it seemed like he was the best recruiter in the Pac-12 for basically, I don't know, for about, I guess this year because having the number one class and being one of the lead recruiters. And like Justin was just alluding to, he was very uh, prominent in the recruiting of five-star recruit Dante Manning. This goes all the way back to 2014 when he was at a small school in the Mountain West Conference and mm-hmm. won best recruiter back then. And then it was at Nebraska for a year. Then he was at Arizona for a year. So this is definitely a guy that's trying to climb the ladder, if you will. So I'm not surprised. I mean, Oregon was his longest stop in the last couple of years, being here for two years. Wow. But yeah, he was integral in the bringing of a lot of these big five-star guys, in particular... Mr. Manny. Yeah, and he uh, went out on Twitter and said, like, I really appreciate everybody who stopped calling me, asked me questions. I'm not answering questions right now. So it's pretty obvious that he uh, has a big decision to make on whether or not he's going to remain enrolled at the University of Oregon. We'd love to see him stay, but we also understand that it's, it's really difficult when uh, you're recruited by a certain person and then to have that person not there anymore you can a lot of things can change i don't really see that happening in this uh aspect just because of what coach cristobal has been building and it seems like uh dante williams was leaving on pretty good terms with uh coach cristobal and the rest of the staff from what i understand from what he said on twitter he's going to usc not because of a career advancement move but he wants to be closer to home and his dad is sick 
He said his dad doesn't have much time left on this earth. Okay, you know um, I can I can I can respect that, and I hope I truly hope that he's put it, if he is putting that out there, that is the case. Yeah, but it also I mean judging by your face reaction, it it is very like uh, questionable, and I mean there is a, a promotion in with this move yeah. where he's going to be in the passing game coordinator is what they're thinking. Yeah, um, uh, as well as the cornerback coach or DB coach, as what he was here at Oregon. Besides, you know his recruiting responsibilities. There's an interesting wrinkle to this story also, where I guess if he would have left the University of Oregon a month earlier, he would have had to pay a hundred thousand dollar buyout. So the I mean. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I hope that he is making the choice to really go home and be close to his father. Nobody can, you know, if you've ever coached before, you know that you don't get a lot of time to spend with your family regardless. So being close in proximity is a huge part of being able to see said family members. Um, and I definitely wish his father all the best. Um, however, it, there's just, there's there's a lot of coincidences here for sure. Yeah, and he is, I mean, he is an LA native or yep. greater Los Angeles area native. Um, and I mean, it's it, it, it's a program that I mean, every coach at some point, I mean, especially on the West Coast, would strive to be in a program like that. Absolutely, history. I mean, facilities. You name it. Uh, I mean, well, and let's also and be honest. That. Yeah, I mean, USC has been getting just dragged through the media for their their lack of recruiting ability, for the fact that they're supposed to be the the gem of the Pac-12, and they have not really put up much success well, they, over the last couple of years. They had a big recruiting class last year. Remember, they were like in top three in the Pac-12 last year. But they're still getting dragged because they're yeah. like the 10th or 11th this year. This year, they were 10th, I believe. They were right behind Oregon State. And national ranking, they were behind Troy. Yeah, atrocious. Yeah. yeah the atrocious. wrong Trojans. <laughs> I liked what I did there, yeah. It's just, it's, it's really bad for USC. And we talked about that. And I don't think it's coincidental that they made this move after losing a big-time recruit, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean very, very publicly losing a big-time recruit, so then they go get the guy that recruited that kid. So mm-hmm. I just, there again, I, I want to give Coach Williams the benefit of the doubt. I hope he is making the choice for those kinds of reasons and going home for those kinds of reasons. Um, and again, we wish his family all the best. However, this is just very coincidental, and it's just, it's a huge get for USC and a huge loss for Oregon. But this is also something that we talked about and kind of prefaced a couple weeks ago. We need to get used to this. Oh yeah, this is going to keep. This happening. is going to continue to happen, and it's going to get worse. Well, I was actually just about <laughs> to say I was kind of surprised that this year it, there wasn't more of this. Yes, with with all the the job openings around the country, and then they were kind of getting filled in. I mean, uh, Michigan State just grabbed the head coach from Colorado for their football, program. which I think is a win for us because he was turning that program around. Exactly, and I was kind of. Surprised surprised that there weren't more people in the Oregon, you know, coaching tree that weren't mentioned in that for that job. Now for Colorado. Yeah, yeah. and so it was like uh, it's we're going to see a lot more of it. It's going to be interesting to see who we replace uh coach Williams with. It's a Rubik's cube. Um there was somebody that I thought was really interesting, uh Greg Brown. He was a defensive backs coach last year at Purdue. He had stops all over the country as well as several jobs in the NFL, several different cities. He coached with Coach Cristobal at Alabama, and the rumor is, and this is why I think he's a very strong candidate, their wives are very good friends. 
Yeah, we all know wives rule the world. <laughs> um, what 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 she wants, she's gonna get. So yeah. if she wants to be next to her best friend. I have a feeling that. Hey, so great info there, Shane. Great info. I had no idea about that. So that, that's a nice insight. There was another guy, uh, Ashley Ambrose, who uh, was formerly at Colorado as defensive back coach. He wasn't coaching anywhere last year, but he was a defensive back coach at Boise State for two years under Andy Avalos. Okay. So. Another good info. Yeah, yeah. nice little so tidbit some, there. Some inside moving there. There was a few other names mentioned, but I, there wasn't any like interesting ties like that. There was a guy who just got hired as a defensive, back, defensive backs coach for the Miami Dolphins, who uh, played under Andy Avalos at Boise State. But why would you leave that job for this one? Yeah, I don't see that happening. That's just, I don't, just for the uh, pure financial implications, yeah. I don't and see that happening. Bragging rights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're in the NFL. You made it to the big show. Unless you're going to get some kind of massive promotion to come yeah. back down to the college level. There's no you point. I don't think so. And so that'll be interesting to watch. But again, um, Oregon fans, we've been spoiled for a long time with coaching turnover and lack thereof. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a long time, people looked at us as kind of the the pinnacle of tradition and whatnot, if you will, in regards to be able to maintain coaches and things like that. So um, this is something we need to get used to as a program. This is okay. Nothing is falling. The sky is going to be there tomorrow. It might be gray. (laughs) If you live in Oregon, it might be gray tomorrow, but it's still going to be there. Um, So, I mean, again, there's not a whole lot of other recruiting news or football news out there right now, but anything that comes up, we will continue to throw out there for you. This is a little bit more of a, a solemn note. Um, I was actually jumping on the Google machine to try to see if there was anything I missed right before the podcast today. Um, this is an article that came through from KMTR, um, just posted today. Um, University of Oregon men's lacrosse coach Charlie Jackson passed away in his sleep Monday night. Uh, Jackson was 43 years old. Um, just a just a tragedy. You hate to see this um, happen to anybody, um, but especially having it happen to somebody that's affecting so many young people's lives, um, his family. Um, I can only imagine at 43 and asleep, this has to be unexpected. Um, just just a tragedy. Yeah, I mean, thoughts and prayers with their family yes. and everybody who's dealing with this a lot closer than we are. It's uh, yeah. I mean, 43. I mean, it's a young person himself yeah. in the grand scheme of things. It's. You really, there's no words really for it. No. Um, let's take two seconds for uh, for the coach. All right. And just you know, again, we we're we're a lighthearted podcast here, but just appreciate what you have, ladies and gentlemen. When you wake up every day, truly appreciate the fact that you did get to open your eyes and you get to inhale some beautiful oxygen, and you're going to be vertical. Even when I'm having a bad day, if somebody asks me how I'm doing, I usually respond, I'm vertical. <laughs> you know, I got oxygen. Yeah. Things aren't as bad as they could be. Right. So yeah. just, you know, allow that to put that in perspective for you. Um, Club Sports Program Director Ben Prawl said, you know, we're trying to be there for the team and coaches and everyone involved. Um, hopefully U of O Club Sports just kind of surrounds them with a cocoon of support. And um, if you didn't know, there was a club lacrosse team um, on the men's side for the University of Oregon. If you're a fan, go give them some support. You know, the women's team will be playing this spring also. Or is it it's spring or fall? Well, let's see, uh, I mistake. think it's spring. Yeah, I, th- I believe the women play in the spring also. So, yeah, go give them some support. Um, but um, just from the flock pod here, uh, U of O Club Lacrosse, you've got our love. You've got our support. Uh, the Johnson family, or Jackson family, you certainly have our love and support also. Um, not looking to, you know, move past this lightly, um, but moving on into what we have for our track and field check-in. Um, some rankings are actually out there for our um, homeless indoor track and field team. <laughs> right. 
Uh, yeah, so the women's team, this was after the, uh, the indoor meet in Arkansas, uh, which the men's team, we covered this a couple weeks ago, the men's team uh, set a record for the 4x, uh, it's the really long... 4x4? Four four? No, it's the me- the medley. Is that what it's called? Where it's like, oh, see now you're, you're yeah, no, it's like, no, it's like really long. Like, <laughs> um, anyways, the men team has actually dropped two spots in the national rankings. They went from uh, ninth in the rankings to eleventh, where the women's team has held on to their ranking of the ninth spot as well. So they were okay. both ranked number ninth in the number nine in the country. Men's team has fallen a couple spots um, as they look to build on this and you know move up in those rankings. Oregon's indoor track team is actually splitting up this week, which is interesting. Interesting. Uh, some athletes are headed to the Don Kirby Elite, which is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the other athletes are going to the Husky Classic, which is in, you guessed it, Seattle, Washington. Um, I was going to say UConn, but you know. <laughs> the, the real Huskies. Uh, oh, shots fired. Um, it didn't really say if it was like, you know, field... Uh, athletes going to one or whatever, but it seems like you know there's some guys are going somewhere, some guys and gals I should mm-hmm. say are going one, and the others are going to the other spot. Um, either way, best of luck to all the athletes out there. We got a lot of uh, we'll, we'll kind of get into track and field a little bit more as we get closer to the Pac-12 championships and. We'll move on with track and field updates as Hayward Field is built. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And if you live here in town locally, give it a drive-by. It's looking beautiful. They just put that crown yep. tower thing Big up. Big torch pit up there. Um, and if there are any uh, community members or U of O track and field fanatics, get a hold of us. We'd love to have you on. Yeah. We'd, love to, we'd love to know more about the sport. It's really difficult to find information about it online. As and it's really even difficult to get access to them. I was inquiring about doing like media availabilities, and they're very spread out. And a lot of them are in because we don't have a home event. Yeah. We don't we don't host anything. Yeah, for indoor oh, season. Yeah, a lot of like the media availabilities are on the road fascinating so there's actual writers yeah they're going here and and, like i was told to just access some of like the audio content online and i was like it's harder the real thing yeah exactly yeah yeah. so yeah let's let's uh get a hold of us if you'd like to help us in some coverage there um or really in regards to to any sport if there's anything you guys want to hear more about track and field just kind of the first one that came to mind and now we're going to move on to our social spotlight. Um, so uh, a little bit of struggle looking to find somebody that we thought would be, um, well, let's just be frank, good enough to really put out there <laughs> as a social spotlight. Um, but uh, Shane went and found uh, my guy, Mr. Ugo Amadi, up there for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, still putting a lot of information about the Ducks. Yeah, it seems like at least his Twitter account is mostly revolved around uh, U of O thing. I mean... Uh, he uh, actually chimed in about uh, Dante Williams moving, which said, no such thing as an overnight success. Proud of you, Dante. So, I mean, he was obviously uh, probably recruited by, let's see the timeline. Does there for two sense? years? Yeah, I mean, he would have coached him at least. Yeah. I don't know if he would have recruited him. Yeah, he coached him. I mean, he would have coached him. Uh, so, I mean, somebody really close to the uh, Dante uh, Williams news, you know, he's in support. Um, Zuko agrees. Zuko agrees. Uh, Ugo was also named MVP of the special teams for the Seattle Seahawks for this prior season. I know he was uh, returning punts as well as a gunner on the punting team. Uh, did a lot of good things. He also, I mean, when uh, Seahawks played the Rams the second time, he pinned one inside the five. 
I remember that was frustrating on my end. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. Just seems like a great guy. You know, as I kind of look, looked through his Instagram earlier, he's got some great pictures of his kid. Um, he's definitely all about, you know, Seahawks and the 12s and whatnot. Um, just seems like a kid that's got a good head on his shoulders, still repping the University of Oregon in a very positive way. Um, we love seeing those guys that are alums that are out there really repping the men of Oregon feel and vibe, if you will. Yeah, so go out there, follow him for all the updates, all the inside info. If you're a Seahawks fan, of course, you're probably an Oregon Duck fan if you're listening to this. Yes. More, I, would, I would imagine, unless would... you're that random Badger fan that tried to troll us, which was oh, great. Oh, I know Bobby Neal. Which was great. <laughs> all right, so we are going to head into a quick break here. Um, please, please listen to our beautiful ad and our Into Club segment. All right, welcome to our Into Club segment. Last week focused big time on Oregon club hockey, and we are once again going to do the same. Mentioned how they were headed down to South Lake Tahoe to defend their Pac-8 championship. First, just wanted to give you a little bit of history about the program. Actually found the, the Pac-8 hockey dot com website so that was kind of fun to be able to get some more information and it looks like uh, I mean this is a prestigious Oregon club hockey team they've been in the Pac-8 since 1997 Um, they have won four Pac-8 championships going back to 2005 they actually went back to back in 2008 2009 and then again last year in 2019 Looks like they've also finished second four times. So once again, this is a program that is very familiar with success, very familiar with playing in that championship game. And I am happy to inform you, Duck fans, that they brought home that Pac-8 championship once again. Sounded like they had a really fun tournament, a couple great games. Um, if you'd like to watch any of these games on a replay, you can actually go to Pac8Hockey.com. Uh, all the games have live YouTube links, so you get a little bit of a recap. Um, but I'll just go ahead and give you the scores now that first round Oregon beat San Jose State 9 to 5 in the second round it looks like they beat Arizona State in overtime 4 to 3 sounds like a great game actually watched just a little bit of that one looked like it was really fun and in the championship game they took care of business against the Boise State Broncos 3 to nothing so once again here from the flock we want to wish you Oregon club hockey players congratulations on your back to back Pack 8 championships and hey Let's hope we can bring home that three-peat next year. I mean, that's not asking for too much, right? Welcome back. And uh, we're just going to jump right into it here, Um, jumping into some women's hoops action. Um, Just a crazy sweep. I mean, beating both teams by 30 points. UNESCO having great games, Hebert playing great, um, Satu all over the place. I mean, this this Oregon women's team is just a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and they've really, I thought this week they really like solidified a lot of the things that we were talking about before with, with the roles in which they're yes. playing, which Sabrina was facilitating the offense a lot early in those games, especially against Arizona, which was on Friday, which I think Sabrina, yeah, ended up with a triple-double in that game, number 24, which, which was... was very special for her. Mm-hmm. 24. It mentioned how Kobe would probably send her a text after the game or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, but also in that game, Taylor Chavez was Tay-tay. electric. Tay-tay. Uh, 17 points on 7 to 14 shooting, which I love the fact that she got up 14 shots yep. off the bench in a big game. Yep. Showing that, you know, she has that confidence in herself and really like 
solidifies herself as the next guard to step up in this next year. Her and Jazz Shelley definitely do not have a problem with confidence. No, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Jazz, Jazz Shelley's a lot different because she's more of a specialist, although she's also a really good defender. Yeah. Um, she's a true 3 and D player. Yeah, but Taylor Chavez, Chavez, I should say, uh, is really, like, just... I mean, as soon as she enters the game, has this like presence taking over yep. and just kind of like flying around the ball, taking charges, doing all that good stuff that coaches love to see. Uh, 42 points in the paint in this game against Arizona. A lot of that was Ruthie Hebert inside. Uh, 10 for 13 in the game. 22 points. I'm going to look up her shooting percentage real it's quick. It's got to be in the 60s, it's I feel. Very, very or no, it wouldn't be good. 60s. Probably like, I'm going to guess high 40s. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess she's shooting in the 60s. I think, you didn't say over 50 percent. Yeah, I actually think you're right. If I can actually get to this, man, Uvo does not do a good job of getting stats out available. But anyway, we have to go. Um, I digress. Like yeah, yeah I'm going. I'm going. Yeah. Uh, and also, <laughs> so uh, Sabrina was six of nine shooting in this game. Ruthie ten of thirteen. Satu Sable was five of nine and three for four from deep. Also had a uh, double double to go along with six assists, two steals, um, seventeen points. So. Uh, I really like what I've seen from Satsu Sable of late. Mm-hmm. She's really, uh, I mean, you don't have to draw up too much for her to get buckets, and she's a great pressure release at the end. Ruthie Hebert is shooting 67%. Whoa. That's incredible. I was, as I said 60, I was like, that can't be. That's, that's, that's way too high. Um, has yet to attempt a three-pointer this season. That's probably good. <laughs> um, yeah, she is a professional bucket getter. Yeah, so great big-time dominance against the Wildcats, coming out and getting that taste out of their mouth against the Sun Devils. I mean, just really, really impressive victories. Well, then, and then so to get to the Arizona State game, which was, you know, the lone conference loss yeah. for Oregon's women. So a nice vengeance game. Just really, I mean, immediately. Out the gates. Wasn't it like 18-2? to 10-2 two? to two in the first quarter. Okay, okay. But, I mean, two... Points? They had six points with six minutes left in the second quarter. That is is putting the clamps down. And you could tell that it was a priority from uh, Kelly Graves to really assert dominance on the defensive end. It was a physical game. Establish dominance! Establish dominance! It was a physical game. It was a chippy game. Sabrina Unescu got a technical foul in this game, which is... Mother of ducklings. Mother yeah. of ducklings out there showing her fire, showing her her strength. Uh, so do do do. Aaron Bowley and Jazz Shelley combined in this game for 28 points, 10 for 13 from the field, and 8 for 10 from deep. Love I it. mean, shooters shooting. Love it. Love it. We got shooters. <laughs> we got shooters. Uh, do do do. Also, 19 points off turnovers for uh, Oregon women in that game, which is big. Playing good defense, forced turnovers, getting out and break. Great way to run up a score on a team uh, like Arizona State, which is going to try and impose their will on you physically. Yeah. They wanted that game to be chippy. Yeah. That game was played the way Arizona State needed it to be played, and they still got ran out of the gym. Lost by 31. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. As I was watching it, I was like, this is how Arizona State won in the first game. Yeah. It was just trying to frustrate him, yep. you know, getting those little yeah, chicken getting wings those little in there, elbows in there yeah. you know, doing all those little things that you know players hate. And I was blown away by the resolve of this team. The way Ruthie was just, she was in there getting hit, still was just, you know, playing her game. They never started playing left-handed. They they did everything right. It got, and even when it got chippy, I mean, there was one point where Ruthie got like knocked down and kind of clapped in a girl's face. But even then that was like, 
there was still some constraint in there, and you could tell. I want to see that fire from this team. This yeah. team is going to need that fire when they go play against South Carolina and Baylor. I mean, those are two teams. I mean, I think those are the two premier teams in the country right now. And I think we kind of saw it in that loss to Louisville. They yeah. didn't have that fire, that killer instinct. This is a... And I talk about this in sports a lot, but I mean, it's all it's all good to be a nice person, and it's all nice to be a, you know just nice and everything. Sometimes you got to be mean. Sometimes you got to be uh, what Joel Embiid calls. Well, I'm not gonna say. It. I'm not gonna curse again <laughs> on on the pod. I'm gonna I'm gonna restrain. I'm gonna refrain from doing that. Um, but just know, sometimes you got to be that. Sometimes you got to be that bulldog. Sometimes you got to go out there and just have that attitude about you. Um, and I hope to see that when they go down to face these UCLA or these LA schools um, starting the weekend at UCLA on Friday, 8 p.m. The number seven team in the country. I um, read a really interesting Oregonian article, and they're talking about this being the biggest test of the season for this University of Oregon team. How do you feel about that, Shane? I, I completely agree. Um, <laughs> I think especially on the road in L.A., it's always kind of tough. You know, when you a lot of times in, you go down there, you get kind of like caught up in the, the glamour of everything, how big it is. Uh, a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of people from uh, overseas on this Oregon team, never yeah. seen Los Angeles before, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, and they are a very statistically consistent team. They play one way of basketball. It works for them. And they are good at doing their thing. They, they get open shots and they make them. I mean, yep. it's, it, it sounds kind of like, you know, like we're dumbing it down or any, something like that. But it's, it's a very clean, basic form of basketball. Would you say it's a make or miss league, Shane? <laughs> Almost. Did you just come up with that? <laughs> um, so again, Friday night, 8 p.m. in Poly. I hope that game's on TV. That's actually one thing I did not check. And then um, also, the US, started. USC is, uh, they, they haven't achieved everything that they want to achieve this season. They've kind of, they've been a little underwhelming. But they have a couple players on that team who are physical a lot of their bigs are short, but they uh, they make up for it. Yeah, they're going to chop you down. Mm -hmm. um, just to let you know, that game will be televised on the Pac-12 network on Friday night. So that's great. And uh, one thing we haven't mentioned yet, this is a actually a homecoming uh, for Mrs. Minion Moore. Oh, um, yeah. Eminem headed down to the L.A. area to play her last games in the L.A. area. Right. Last game Against in Poly. Last game there in, uh, what do they call it? Is it the Galen Center? Is that where the USC Trojans it's play? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, last Last game for her down there. Um, it's going to be exciting for her to play against her teammates and whatnot. I think both teams, we'll get to the men's side about this later, but I think it's that second game to me that offers more of the trap game kind of a thing, that kind of trap game feel, if you will. Um, that game against USC is going to be Sunday. It's going to be at 1 p.m. And uh, if the Ducks, if the Lady Ducks come out this weekend with a 2-0 record, I can pretty much guarantee they're going to be the number one seed in the PDX Regional. And I can pretty much guarantee they're going to win the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean the Pac-12 regular season, championship. regular season yeah. championship. Yes, um, yes. I think they solidify both of those two things if they come out two and zero this weekend. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I mean, the, I'd say the top, the three best teams in the women's side of the Pac-12 are Oregon, UCLA, and I. would Say either Stanford or Oregon State. I'd probably give Stanford the nod. I think nod. it's Stanford. Yeah, I think uh, Oregon, Oregon State's State, a close uh, fourth. Yeah, they had a rough week. Uh, they <laughs> they lost they lost to Arizona State, right? No, they no, won, no, they won they, on that buzzer yeah, beater. That's right. that yeah, point yeah, yeah. four tip. That was a great game. And I apologize for my coughing over here, ladies and gentlemen. I am struggling a little bit, but we're gonna make it through the pod. 
Uh, yeah, so, I mean, St- Stanford... I forgot where I was going with that. But, yeah, I'd say those are the top three teams, I'd say. And they still have a game against the Cardinal mm-hmm. in Maples coming mm-hmm. up, which is going to be a huge game. I almost think that that's the quote-unquote bigger game, if you will. But this is just happening now. It's in L.A. There's a little bit of shine on it. Um, it's going to be an interesting test. I'd say UCLA is the more complete team, but Stanford has better overall players. It's valid. That's um, valid. I think that the girl, I can never remember her name, but she's a freshman. She was the number one player in the nation coming out of high school. She's a guard for Stanford. Uh, I think she presents a lot of problems for Oregon, but Oregon also has more bodies to kind of throw at those uh, having you know less things to worry about, you can kind of throw more bodies at that problem. Where UCLA, it's just going to have to be our game versus theirs. So uh, we'll we'll definitely see this weekend wow. will be a, a big barometer at least. I just saw an incredible stat. I don't know if I've ever seen this before. So Oregon as a team, as a women's team, is shooting fifty point three percent. Wow, from the field, fifty point three percent. Guess what their opponents are shooting. 31. 37. Wow. That's incredible. Having that kind of a contrast. Yeah. Having that kind of a contrast is incredible. I mean, as a team, they're shooting 37% from the three-point line, holding opponents to 27%. Okay, that's what I was thinking. I mean, that, that's just insane. I mean, they're they're an, they're a complete team from top to bottom, and it's going to be really exciting to watch them head down to L.A. this weekend and try to wrap up those uh, that number so one seed and yeah. that Pac-12 championship. I really think that those two things can happen this weekend. All right. Moving on to a less happy topic. Um, the U of O men's team having a rough week. Uh, ranked number 17 in the country. 18-6 overall. 7-4. Second in the Pac-12. Trail those pesky buffaloes by a game. I have, I have so many things to say. I just, this, this was just an utter collapse. This was, not, this was not where the Beavers came out and took this game from the Ducks. The Ducks literally collapsed. Yeah, they shot... 31% in the second half, which is incredibly low. I'm surprised the, they shot the ball that well. It's the second straight game where the second half was just there was no wind in the sails. No. Um, where do you think uh, this blame should be <sighs> assessed? You're, you're, you're teeing me up. I, oh, I want to go off on this so bad, and I'm still... I just I can't stand Peyton Pritchard. I'm sorry, and I know <laughs> I know I'm the guy that was saying the same things about Sherbert, and I understand people are like, oh... Justin's just this duck contrarian over here. <laughs> no, this is how I truly feel. And as a coach, it's been really disappointing t- to me to watch Peyton's progression over the last two and a half years in particular. I think when he was here as a freshman and as that first half of his sophomore year, he was doing all the little things. He was doing things the right way. He was he was literally the epitome of what you'd think of as a five foot ten, five foot eleven white point guard just gritty hard nose doing playing great defense and then over the last year and a half he's turned into this i'm sorry peyton pritchard but you're not damian lillard you're not steph curry yes you can pull from 30 and yes your shooting percentage is actually pretty high from there but you're not doing it within the flow of the offense dana has given you the keys mr pritchard and you're driving this car over a ledge it is so frustrating to watch. It, it, you can tell his teammates don't enjoy playing with him. I'm sorry, but it's it's very telling to me on defense to have poor defensive rotations when you have the kind of athletes and the kind of intelligence that U of O has. And it's very telling when a team scores on you when the ball bounces. 
When that ball just sits on the end line and just bounces a couple times, no one's going to pick it up and Peyton's just sitting there waiting for the inbounds. To me, that tells me something about a team that they do not have chemistry, they do not have teamwork, and that is a disjointed locker room. Can you tell he's been thinking about that for a little bit? It's just driving me crazy. <laughs> and it's, it's something that, that I'm feeling and it's something that I'm hearing from the community. I mean, I'm hearing stories um, from students. I'm hearing stories from um, grandmas that have students at the University of Oregon that are telling me, hey, we see the team together all the time. We see Will Richardson hanging out. We see, you know, Duarte hanging out. We see them all hanging out together, except there's always this one guy missing. Well, we'd like to think he's in the gym working on his game somewhere, but who knows? Uh, Mr. Pritchard had 16 points in the Civil War matchup, four rebounds, nine assists, two steals. This is the telling part. Seven for 21 from the field and one for eight from three. And we did see a lot of um, stagnant offense. Francis Okoro wasn't available in this game. Chandler Lawson got the start. And that's a big deal. I mean, having a Coro back in Nigeria, I understand. And we kind of alluded to it a little bit before. We don't want to talk about it too much. That we obviously had some things going on with him beyond basketball. And having that kind of post-game disjointed and kind of thrown about, I understand, can mess with the flow of an offense. But not this badly. Yeah, I mean, it was. And it's an interesting dichotomy getting into Peyton Pritchard that I think we've kind of seen. It's strange that we've seen his leadership decline as his skills incline. Like... He add, the the greater basketball player he becomes, and the more he you know sharpens the tools of his trade, the worse that we kind of see the team embrace it, which is you know so. Pardon my French, ass backwards. It's just like <gasps> Shane cuts <laughs> for the podcast. Uh, it it's it's interesting because you think that you know when you when you're, you're at this point where you know he's developed so much as a player he's hitting these threes like you alluded to from 30 feet out he's doing these things he's crossing guys up he's good on the break and we haven't really seen the team embrace him as a leader even as he's been doing it and then this game especially was a really good portrayal of him the offense just being really stagnant and then once it gets to about 12 ish seconds on the shot clock it becomes a Peyton Pritchard time for him to just throw up some garbage and I mean one for eight in this game. And then we also, Anthony Mathis, as you talked about before, be great to see him, you know, get a couple easy buckets. You know, he hit his first one. I thought he might go off. I thought this might be kind of the get-right game for Mathis. It definitely did not turn out to be that case. Two for six from the field, two for six from three. Yeah. And so, that, I mean, he should just want. be shooting threes, though. I, but see, I disagree. From the field, he should be. You should be going to the rack, but he's not going to finish. He's looking to get fouled when he goes to the rack. Guess, so how, many, has, guess how many free throws they attempted in this game? Wow. As a team? Yeah. Twelve. Four. Wow. And two, even, I mean, two for four. That's even Peyton. I mean, Peyton should be shooting at least six to eight free throws every single game. And I don't mean to harp on this, but I want to just call out one specific play in the game. I don't remember when it happened, but Peyton drove, laid off a beautiful pass to Chandler Lawson. Chandler Lawson went up, missed the layup, and you see Peyton react. And he just shakes his head, turns, and he starts walking back. I'm sorry, Mr. Pritchard. That is not how a leader reacts. You go pick that guy up. It's the UCLA gift from a couple years ago or whatever where that point guard walks over to the big man and says, nah, big man, you lift your head up. You get that head up proud. That's what I want to see Mr. Pritchard do. I want to see him go to these young guys. You're now, you're now Casey Benson. Mm-hmm. You're now the guy that's got to go around and be Steve Nash, giving guys slaps on the ass, 
giving them, you know, lifting their chins up, giving them the attaboys. You have to be that player, Pritchard, and he's just not. And we've seen uh, a lot of highly skilled freshmen, Chandler Lawson being one of them, the other being C.J. Walker, struggle. Shrink. And it's, I mean, we would, uh, who did we go see play? With Montana, the game we went yes. to? Yes, I mean, we kind of saw it, like, we were talking about it. It's a, men- like, it's a, it seems like a mental thing with yes. these guys. They have Absolutely. the obvious physical tools. Oh, I mean, yeah. CJ can literally jump over me. Literally, <laughs> I would love to see that. And it's like you kind of just like you know it gets everything gets all shooken up. We don't like to see you know just the mentality of this team. We've seen instances where they look scrappy and they're getting after it and everything, but you know it's it's a long season. We'll see if they can pull it together. We could sit here and go off on this for an hour. I mean, I could literally talk about my disdain for watching Peyton Pritchard for an hour. But we're not going to. We're going to move on because they've got a big game on Thursday, a big get-right opportunity. Rarely in sports are you given this kind of an opportunity coming off of a two-game losing streak um, to now have the number 16 team in the country coming into your place Thursday night, 6 o'clock. Going to be a big-time ESPN game. I think they're doing the whole um, announcer switch-up for this game. So it's going to be like Bill Walton and someone random. Always a pleasure. (laughs) So, I mean, that's going to be worth watching just for that. Um, If you haven't bought your tickets already, if it's sold out, I'm not sure. But go fill that arena for the Ducks. This is a big-time game with Pac-12 championship implications on the line. And probably the two best guards in Pac-12. Yeah. And Peyton Pritchard and uh, Vera McKinley. And this is the Vera McKinley shut him down last time. Definitely Mm -hmm. pestered the hell out of him. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm really curious to watch Pritchard react and how he's going to respond and what his teammates are going to look like in that response. Go Ducks. It's going to be interesting. So then we got Utah also coming in on Sunday at 6 o'clock. I think that's kind of the trap game, as I alluded to. I would not be surprised, honestly, to see Oregon come out, Peyton have like a 35-point game and just boat race the Buffaloes and then get beat by Utah. Well, they have a player that, <laughs> that presents a, a major problem for this Duck team. They have a big swing man who scores the ball really Mr. well. Mr. Allen. His name's Timmy Allen. Yeah, yeah and uh, Timmy, the tool man Allen. He, he, I mean, I think... I. Even if Oregon wins, I think he's going to get like 24. Yeah, I love watching Timmy Allen play. As, as I've mentioned before, I loved watching him play in high school, then in Arizona. Um, this is a kid that loves the game of basketball and a kid that's probably going to be playing in the NBA. I think he's going to be like he's a second-round pick. He's got the tools. I think he's got a, he's got a starter kit for that Michael Porter kind of game. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not the same size, but definitely has that We'll have potential. to put on some weight. He needs to you know make yeah. some changes, but he's yeah. definitely potentially yeah. a second-round draft pick for sure. Um, so, unfortunately, today I do have a hard out, so we are going to move the podcast along. Um, again, we wish the men's hoops all the best this weekend. That game versus Utah Sunday at 6 o'clock. Um, tune in. Give these ducks your support. Support. Um, jumping over to a support that we just love covering here on the Flock Pod. Good old softball. The ladies, Finally softball season. Ladies again. are off to a great start. Hanging out in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. 5-0. and oh, Just a dominant start to the season. Yeah, they uh, run-ruled two teams. I think it was George Mason and uh, Utah State, I believe. One of them was 18-0. I think they scored like 12 in the second inning. That's, uh, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The, yeah. She's killing the game, batting uh, 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 467. She has seven hits, seven runs, three for three on stolen base attempts, getting it done She's out there. She's a monster. There. She's um, a monster. And so, the team is hitting really well. I mean, 336 average as a team, OPS up there at 833. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's insane. And then uh, freshman catcher Tara McGowan is batting 429. She's got a dinger. She leads the team in RBIs with 10, seven. 
37 slugging percentage right now. Love seeing a catcher that can hit some dingers. Oh, yeah. Love yeah. To it's see actually kind of like my favorite style of baseball player. Like the great Hambino. Or Mike Piazza. Mike Piazza. <laughs> um, Ducks are definitely doing it on the other side. Also, Jordan Dale with a couple of great... I don't know if she started two games, but she definitely started she one. She appeared in two, okay. started one. That's what it was. Yeah. But yeah, 12 inning pitched, zero runs. Obviously, the Duck pitching staff only giving up those 12 or the two runs in those five games dominance yeah she's turned away 15 strikeouts holding opponents to a 125 batting average obviously want to know brooke yanez who's another junior pitcher has a uh, 0.5 era 25 strikeouts she is three and oh and uh, it's crazy how much more reps they get in oh, softball yeah. and college baseball. Well, just a more natural motion for your arm. Yeah, it's I mean, very you can true. just throw so many more innings. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just it's it's actually the the way physically the human body is meant to throw a ball. <laughs> <laughs> and she's holding opponents to a 130 batting average. So I mean, both of them, you know, out there getting it done. And it, it's good to see that uh, this team gel. Um, yes. Last year there was so much uncertainty. I mean, they were basically like pulling players up to get enough scholarship players to we field even the sure team. sure there was going to be a team. Yeah. There was talk of just having to just taking the year off. Yeah, and I mean, there's a, a lot of talk about why players are leaving with Melissa Lombardi being the new coach and everything and some of her coaching styles, but we are glad to see this all coming together. You know, uh, turnover is never going to be easy. You're going to have some some difficult transition there. You're going to have some friction, um, but you love to see the girls that are here buying into the program and giving it their all. Yeah, I That's mean, it's fun to see. Kind of what we alluded to earlier with, you know, uh, Coach Williams leaving. It's yes. that, that same kind of thing happened where it's like, yep. whoa, this wasn't the person who said, you know, this, this, and that. But yeah, went down to Mexico, 5-0. and uh, Not sure when their next game So they is. are headed to Houston. They're going to play in the Houston tournament, which is really just kind of like a little uh, three-way um, of Houston, Dayton, and the University Ooh, of Oregon. Dayton Flyers. Yes. Shout out Jake um, Englehart. Shout out Scott Gummo. Oh, hey-o, hey-o. Um, so they head down there. First game Friday the, uh, the 14th. Freaking Valentine's Day. Um, 1.30 p.m. against the Houston Cougars? Cougars. Cougars, yep. Um, and then they play Dayton and Houston on Friday and then finish it up with just one game versus Dayton on Sunday at 7.30 in the morning. Ooh. Ooh. All right, ladies. Back 12 hangover yeah, game. Yeah, <laughs> and these are early games, too. I mean, for Saturday they've got a game at 11 and then 1.30, so that might be even like a kind of a split squad kind of game where they try to get hmm. a lot of girls some reps. Are they like sharing? Is the baseball field share like the basketball team down I, there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but they're definitely going to be playing in all of these, you know, warm weather, guaranteed to be able to get these games in um, for the first part of the season. Um, after this little, you know, jaunt in Texas, they head to California where they're playing in the Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic. And then um, the next... <laughs> okay, I couldn't get it out without laughing. Um, and then uh, their next road trip is over to Oklahoma where they're going to play Drake, Tulsa, a couple games there in Oklahoma. Trizzy. Where, again, we um, reference they'll finally make their home debut with the Oregon Tournament March 6th. That's a Friday. Put it on the calendar. 3.30 here in Eugene versus C. Adult. Could you imagine playing for two months before you got a home game? You know, it's just kind of the... It's, it's playing baseball and softball in Oregon. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of the way it is. I... 
I mean, we obviously have some incredible facilities here, but definitely still not any kind of like a stadium for them to play in, obviously. And they, you just can't risk it. You know, every once in a while you could get a game in here, but you just can't risk it. Yeah, there'd be so many game cancellations. Oh, the and there's still going to be a bunch of rainouts. Yeah. You know, that's the beauty of living in wonderful Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> that Pacific Northwest. So that feels like a good place to kind of wrap it up there. Uh, anything else to uh, throw in today, Shane? I think we're all good. Um, looking forward to the debut of Jordan Bell in a Minnesota, or sorry, not Minnesota Timberwolves, yeah. but the uh, Memphis Grizzlies jersey. You're still looking forward to that. Into personal news, I have filled up the old notebook. Hey! That is the first notebook. That's a high down. five. Took 33 episodes of that notebook. Uh, I might frame it, put it on the wall love somewhere. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. And uh, speaking of Jordan Bell, um, those Memphis Grizzlies, like the Vancouver J- Grizzly jerseys, are so incredibly fire. You know, if anybody wanted to just like pick two of those up, like maybe a Jordan Bell one for me and a Dylan Brooks one for for Shane, you know, we would definitely rock those and give you all kinds of love here on the Flock. We wear them every single episode. We and would take selfies and tag you in it. Yes, That's we for sure. Yes, I love that idea. I love that idea. So, um, from myself, Coach Justin D on all those social media platforms, we are at the Flock Pod all over the place. Go give us a follow. I'm at Shane Potter six on the Twitter at Waka Flocka Shane six on Instagram. Also, go read some of my articles on DuckNews.com. I do weekly uh, Pac-12 roundups, men yep. and women. Jump on that. Jump on that. If you've made it to the end of the podcast, as always, we love you. Give us a like. Give us a share. Help us with that algorithm. And we out. Peace. <laughs>